Welcome back to the latest episode of Rockstar 101. His name is Brandon. He's the DJ. His name is Shim. He's the rock star. Class is in session. And as we wrapped up last episode of Rockstar 101, we were kind of talking about road stories and things like that. And in particular, some of the things that pop up on riders. And if you're not familiar with what a rider is, it's basically the request the band has for the stuff that they want backstage, the kind of foods, the kind of drinks, the kind of things that they want. And what we teased was... Green M&M's. And this has kind of been uh, a story that you hear in the rock world about a particular band. I believe it's most attributed to Van Halen. Them ordering green M&M's, only green M&M's, on their rider. And there's a very particular reason why they do that. And I'll let Shim explain. There is a very particular reason. And once it's explained, it makes perfect sense. But it was one of these interesting things where when people found out because it was what it was, it was very people talked about it everyone talked about it and everyone talked about it in the in the real world not just within the music business and the touring industry because it made Van Halen infamous on this level as one of those bands that just asks for quirky shit and they're so rock star that they just want to piss people off and make people do things they don't have to do when they think it's funny it actually is for a very specific and and very calculated reason and the reason is because you got to take a few things into consideration. Van Halen was the biggest band in the world at the time. They had lights and pyro and humongous PAs and multiple guitar changes and a big-ass drum kit and microphone cables running all over the place. And they had risers and a, and, a, and a thing that came out of the stage that, that Eddie could walk down and all this sort of stuff. Huge production, lots of moving parts. You take it, it's a, it's, it, you, you equate it to a clock. If you pull one of the cogs out of the clock, the whole clock stops working. Mm-hmm. And there are many times when if you've got all that stuff all linked in together and one thing isn't working or it's missing or it unplugs or it wasn't there in the first place, the show can shut down. Like you can, the show can just stop or one of the pieces of, or a transition or something can go wrong. So something that people also don't know about a band rider is that when you're in a band, you have a a, a rider, which is just a sheet of paper, an email that says, hey, we want beer, wine, food in the backstage area. There's also what's called a stage rider. And that is basically everything the band wants on stage. And that has, here's where you place the microphones, here's where the guitars are set up, here's how the cables are here, you know, all every everything that's technical, all the technical information for all the guys that are running the stage. Now, when you have a big band and you've got a big crew, you've got a big rider, right, for, for the backstage area. You've got lots of drinks and lots of food and lots of things like that. So what they would do is they would put somewhere close to the bottom, they would have, uh, they wanted a bowl of green M&Ms, only green. If we find a brown M&M, uh, we're going to cause problems. And they would show up and they would make sure that there was a bowl of only green M&Ms, which meant that the person who was running the show had to read through the rider specifically. They had to make sure that they got everything on that rider correct. They had to buy a whole shitload of M&Ms and pick out the green ones and give them exactly what they wanted. If they walked into their dressing room and saw a bowl of green M&Ms, they knew that everything was gonna go well that night because people had paid attention to the rider. They'd read everything fully. They had done everything they were supposed to do. And they knew that nothing was gonna go wrong on stage because the show rider, the actual, the, the rider for everything that was technical on stage is 10 times more complicated than what's in the backstage rider. And so if they see the green M&Ms, they know that the people who are doing this show have also read the stage rider very specifically and they haven't missed anything. And that was why they would do it. So what would happen is if they came into their dressing room 
and there was no green M&Ms, they'd go to their tour manager and say, go and look over everything on the fucking stage, make sure everything's set up correctly and everything works. And they'd go and they'd kick ass and they'd say, where the fuck are the green M&Ms? And someone would go, oh, sorry, I missed it. Or, or we didn't think you were serious. And they go, great, let's walk through every single piece of the stage. And invariably they would always find something that had been missed. So that was, it was actually a professional choice to be like, we wanna make sure that everyone is on their game before we get there so they don't fuck up our show. Because that's, it's Van Halen and you're paying, you know, stupid money for one of the biggest bands in the world. You don't wanna let the fans down. You wanna do a great show. And it is the worst feeling in the world when you've gone to all the effort to fly there and rehearse and get your crew there and you set up your show and you got 10,000, 20,000 people in front of you. And then suddenly the lights all switch off in the middle of a song when you're supposed to do a transition because something wasn't plugged in and now the whole stage is dark and your fans just lost the whole piece of your show because one guy wasn't paying attention to one line in the rider. So it's really, that's that's the actual reason why that stuff happens. It's interesting that people just think they're rock stars doing kooky shit to piss people off, but that's the actual reason. There's a lot of stuff that people do just to make sure, you gotta come up with creative ways to make sure you keep people on their toes. So that's, that's why they were doing it. That's actually the real reason why they were doing it. Yeah, and it's one of those interesting stories that, of course, when people first hear it, they're like, oh, they're just being douchebags. They're just like, they're, they're trying to make people dance like puppets because they're the big rock stars and they can make people do whatever they want. But yeah, there was a very definitive reason why they were choosing, okay, we need to have only green M&Ms because it's kind of, it, it, it's a way to make sure that everything else is proper with one simple look inside the dressing room. Yeah. Because if you can look inside the dressing room, you see, and they specifically chose green, I'm guessing, because it, it pops. Yeah. Like if you look at, you can see green better than brown or, you know, some of the other colors that are in the bag of M&M. Yeah, so that, and it, it's it's funny when, when you hear people like, I mean, there's there are stories where it's like, oh, you know, uh, Zeppelin threw a TV out the window or whatever. That's rock star stuff, and that's you know pretty stupid because if they killed someone, they'd be fucked. But like, that's rock star stuff where you go, well, there's no real point to that. That's but then that you you get to this the the level where you equate, oh, green M and M's are like throwing a TV out the window, like it's the same thing, and like rock stars are just crazy people doing crazy stuff because they're they're bored or they're you know drunk or whatever and all, there's a lot of times where like tube socks you know like we were talking last last episode about papa roach with the tube socks a lot of people would look at that and just be like oh that's just a waste of money or that's um you know a waste of socks or whatever or that's just quirky behavior there's always for the most part there's usually a reason for the quirky stuff that goes on in bands because the lifestyle is so bizarre Mm -hmm. it's just such a weird there's no other lifestyle like it there's no other profession like it none of it makes any fucking sense none of it adds up like you, you tell people about how the business is run I talk to business people just about how the business side of it is structured with master recordings versus sound exchange royalties versus public performance royalties and then live touring versus you know streaming shows and they're like how do you make money out of all this stuff when people aren't buying cds anymore and then you talk about the percentages that people take that are much more than percentages people take in uh in when they're doing angel investment into you know uh tech startups and stuff like that and they just look at it and they go, I don't get this business. I don't understand how this fucking thing works. And and even people who have been working in the business for years, like I've, I think I've said before, there is so much that I learned when I was doing the litigation against Sick Puppies and, and my manager. I learned so much that I, I didn't know how much I didn't know about the business. And I thought that I had a decent handle on it. But once we started to get into the nitty gritty of it, I was like, this is, it's like it's designed 
to confuse people. It absolutely is. It's designed to the the, the person with the talent that's making the songs yeah. is going to be confused and say, oh, oh, like sign something that they probably shouldn't be signing just so that they can get it over and done with. Yeah. And then it's going to bite them in the ass later. And that's exactly the story I told you about a couple of podcasts ago with Dolly Parton, where she was a gangster for not signing that stuff because you got Elvis Presley in the room. Anyone who missed that podcast, go back a couple. We were talking about songwriting and uh, royalties and publishing. And and to make that decision at that time, like that's that's the trap that ninety nine percent of people fall into, where they're like, but she understood the business, she knew her rights, and she knew what had value and how it was going to turn into money then or later on, and she just made the right choice. Whereas, when you're confused or pressured or young or bullied or you know or just really naive and you just want to play rock star and you sign these contracts last for years dude Mm -hmm. you know and and i've learned the hard way and that's why i'm not i don't i I don't i don't sign contracts i don't number one i don't sign bad contracts period i don't work with bad people anymore i don't sign bad contracts and i don't sign anything until i've had a lawyer look over it if not two because there's actually been a couple of times when a second lawyer looked over it and went oh what about this thing and the other guy goes oh that's a good idea yeah let's put that in and and it protects you and it 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 sets you up for a good relationship and uh i don't know why we got into that but i'm i'm always (laughs) i'm always talking like i remember this poor fucking kid like (laughs) and we did edge fest uh yesterday and we did a good show man we had a great show and uh royal bliss was on after us and then uh adelita's way was headlining and there was all these cool bands and power man 5000 i hadn't seen them for ages those guys are dope i forgot how straight down the middle that band is dude they don't give a they don't care at all they're like yo this is what we do they just yeah, power man 5000 highly underrated band i think i don't think they get the credit that they're due like uh it's people would always kind of knock it like, oh, it's just Rob Zombie's brother, and you know they're really like, no, Power Man Five Thousand is a solid band. They are a solid band, and the thing that I like about them is that they're like ACDC. They they just they know what they do. They do it great. They have they're having a party. They just they, they and they don't care. They're not trying to be. They're not they're not trying to make an album that's different from the last. That's over artistic or going somewhere. Direct. They're like, no, nah, this is what we do. We want to have a party. We this is what we sound like. And they just get up. And the moment they start, you just you just get into it. I mean, I I, I knew one or two of their songs. And the moment they started playing, I was like, this is just a good fucking time. These guys are just they're just a good time. And they're solid, man. They're a tight band and they're great. But um, but anyway, going back to what I was saying. There was this kid and his mom, uh, kid must, he was under 18, must have been like 16, 17. And he was like, been listening to music for ages, you know, love the new stuff. I'm actually starting a band too. And he just looked so, so, so fragile and innocent and, and un, un, uh, you know, uncorrupted yet. And I just, I, and I heard the words come out of my mouth and I almost felt cynical, but I was like, I was like, the first thing I said was great, man. Yes. Start a band. That's awesome. I'm glad you like my music, all the good stuff. And as we were wrapping up, he was like, cool, man. Well, I'll keep listening. I'll be at another show. And I was like, yeah, man, make sure you get a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) And it just came out of my mouth. It just came out of my mouth. And I was like, my knee jerk reaction was like, I was like, you know, you're starting a band, you're going to do, you know, any, anything comes your way, make sure you get a lawyer, get a good lawyer. And I'm like, that's, that's my go-to thing now. And the irony is you go to the other side of the barrier and you talk to someone on that side of the barrier and it's like, get a good lawyer. When you're talking to bands backstage, the, the catchphrase is, man, I wish I got a good lawyer at the start. Because they've all been through the, you know, you, all these bands have been around now for 10, 15 years or longer. And we've all been through the same shit in one form or fashion. And so it's not, it's not a unique, it's not, it's, you're not, no one's special, dude. No one's special. And it's, it's, 
it's designed as such a weird little web of all the different things and there's so many ways to fall through it and there's so many things some of it is just complicated because it's complicated because uh the industry is changing so so rapidly now with streaming and and the ways that it can be monetized and you got to keep up with the socials and all the new social content and you feel like you know i remember the first time some teenage kid was like you know are you on snapchat and it had just come out and i was like what's snapchat and they gave me that disappointed fucking shitty kid look they look at you like oh you're, you're so not with it the you're too old for me Snapchat. now yeah i'm like it's a week old it's a give me a minute give me a minute to catch up with snapchat it had been out for like a minute and they and they do that thing where they're like, oh my god, you don't know what Snapchat. Oh my god, you're so old. Oh my god, and I'm like, fuck you, man. <laughs> and so that it's that's but there's that stuff that's like you got to keep up with that. And then there's a lot of there's a lot of um, uh, laws that I I'm still there's a lot of laws that I don't understand uh, because they're old and antiquated and they're in the process of being changed that are the same as they were in the 1920s. And they've got pieces and bits and pieces in recording contracts that are like, you know, breakage on, uh, on vinyl. You know, when they used to, they used to only make vinyl back in the 20s. And the artists would have to pay for albums that were broken during shipping. Mm-hmm. And they, they have that clause. They still have that clause in streaming sometimes. They just, they just don't take it out. They leave it in there and they're like, yeah, we're going to say that like, you're, we're going to charge you for breakage on things that aren't technically shipped for downloads. Mm-hmm. And then they just, and then they find a way to be like, oh yeah, there's a there's there's an extra bill. Like there's an extra bunch of money that you owe us for breakage. And you just look at the overall bill. And unless you have people, A, to make sure it doesn't get in the contract or B, to go through and find it once you've signed the contract and go, what the fuck is, what are we paying for breakage for on streaming? Why is that in the breakdown on the money that you're, the, the limited amount of money that you're paying us? And now, you know, we're on the hook for, you know, 2,500 bucks for breakage on streaming. It's like, they're just trying to see what they can get away with half the time. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of companies that don't do that now. There's a lot of companies that are cool. I'm lucky to be signed with FM management. They're really, they're, they're normal people that do normal business. But there's still a lot of companies that they'll just, they'll just fucking see what they can get away with, dude. Yeah, and those are the ones that you definitely need to uh, watch out for. So I'm going to switch gears here a little bit. Because you brought up something when we were talking about Power Man 5000 and how they're like, as you're watching them, you're like, this is just a good time. This is just a good show. So what I want to talk to you about is bands that you have seen that's just a fun time. Because I know that I've brought it up with Papa Roach multiple times. If you've never seen Papa Roach live, you got to check them out live. Because anytime I've gone with them, if I will go with somebody who isn't as familiar with Papa Roach... Almost every single time I'm leaving that venue, that person's saying, I forgot how many hits they have. I forgot that they were they had this song, this song, this song, and this song, and it's an absolute blast. But another band that I don't believe you can go see anymore because I'm pretty sure they're not really a band anymore is the Presidents of the United States of America. Oh, did you see them live? I've seen them live, and they are... It was it was a one big party. They played a venue called the Wow Hall, that would I believe it, which Wow is uh, short for Woodsman of the World I believe, and this was in Eugene, Oregon, and we got to see the presidents of the United States of America at this show. It was a smaller venue, and it was a blast, man. Like it was just an absolute party. Like it was it was a party atmosphere. It was kind of like when you go see um, old school. 
you know, with Will Ferrell and um, that group of guys, and they have Snoop Dogg up on stage, and Vince Vaughn brought him up there, and that it's just a house party with a really big music act. That's what it felt like with the presidents of the United States of America. Like another highly underrated band that I love. That unfortunately, I don't think you can go see them live anymore because I believe they're not technically a band anymore. But that was an absolute blast. So my question for you. Do you have any bands like that? Is there a band that you went and saw that, I don't want to say you didn't have expectations for them, but when you left the show, you're thinking to yourself, that was fun. Like, I, that was an absolute blast. I'm trying to think, but unfortunately, I, my, the first thing, I, I was kind of bummed when you said Papa Roach, because that's exactly what I was going to say. That is the band that I, that, that's the one. And that's the one that I, I remember, I, I don't think I mentioned it in the previous podcast. If I'm repeating myself, I apologize. But it, no one likes going on after Papa Roach. No one, everyone knows that you don't want to play after P. Roach. And I remember actually talking to Ben from Breaking Benjamin side of stage one time when he had a headline over Papa Roach. And he just was like, I, I hate going on after this band, man. Why don't they just put them after me? And Ben's got hits, man. His band is amazing. Breaking Benjamin. But like, and they're no slouch on stage either. No. Breaking Benjamin's a phenomenal show. No, but like, even but and and I, you know, it's like you put them. They're they're pretty on par. But Papa Roach has just got this energy that that people that even like. I mean, they just make you step your game up. They make you step your game up. And like, and if and if you, I remember for me when I first when I the first time I saw him uh, was when we were playing with them, and we it might have been like. There was us, another band, and then Papa Roach. And then when we saw them, I was like, oh, that's the bar. That's the bar. That's, 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 you got to do that. You got to be that good. You got to be as good as them. Like, and they were clearly the best band on the day. And they, they just, they've just got it, man. They just have that thing that no one, and no one wants to go on after them. In terms, and they are that band where like, you just have a good time. They just, they're just rock and roll all the way. They're humble. They've got all the moves down. They're tight as, they're so, such a tight band. And um, and I, I felt really privileged when they knew my music. That was one of those, like, there's a lot of bands that I've met where when I meet them, they go, oh, we love Sick Puppies. We've heard that stuff. Yeah. And then you go and hang out with them. And and I remember playing a festival where I hadn't seen them in like a year or something. And we, we, we went and made an album and we came back and suddenly I heard, Shem, from somewhere down the hallway. Shem, Shem. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? And he's like, where the fuck is Shem? Fucking Shem, get out here! And I'm like, who? And I, I pull my head out, and it's Jacoby from P. Roach, and he's yelling, "Look, because he knows I'm on the bill." And he's like, and he came in, and we had a, a hug and a catch up and a drink, and I was like, this is dope, man, to have Jacoby like looking for me to hang out. I was like, it's really cool when that stuff happens because they are one of those good time bands. That dude is a ball of energy, man. Like when you see him up on stage, he is drenched in sweat. By the time that they're done. And then you would think like, oh, okay, well, after the show, he's going to be tired. He's going to be relaxing. Nope. He's bouncing around back there. He's just, he's a a, a fun loving, just, uh, I want to have fun kind of a guy. And that's what we saw going back to the last podcast. We were talking about the, uh, um, tube, socks. the tube socks. Yeah, the tube socks story. And then even when it comes to the beer stuff, because I never even quite got to that final point uh, when we were hanging out backstage with Papa Roach. And uh, real quick flashback, there was a bottle of wine. We were told, don't touch it. I argued with my friend, don't touch it. He wanted to drink it. Then the drummer came in and he starts drinking it because that's obviously for him, which is kind of how we got on the subject of writers. But we didn't realize it at the time. Or no, no we finally did because that was why we were going to look at that bottle of wine because 
we didn't realize how much beer we had been drinking. Um, it got to the point where all of a sudden we looked behind us and there's one of those kind of craft services tables behind us, but there was nothing on it except about two dozen empty beers Jesus. that were all from us. And we're like, holy shit. We were like, I didn't realize that we drank this much. And at it, so as we're having the conversation about the bottle of wine, I can't remember. I can't remember if it was one of the members of the band or somebody else. But all of a sudden, they go to you know dip their hand in the cooler. And as we're standing there, we're in a small room backstage, and our back is against the wall. The door is on the opposite side of the room where the cooler is at. So out of nowhere, the dude reaches his hand in, and he, we just hear, "Who the fuck drank all the beer?" <laughs> and we're like, "Oh shit!" So like the four or five of us, or however many of us were there. We're like, we got to get out of here. Like, we're going we're uh, to get the shit kicked out of us. So we then slink out the side, out the back, and we somehow make it through the door past them. And then all you see is where we were standing, every single empty beer that was in that cooler. But oh, dude. we did know of a secret place because in, in Oregon, I want to say they stopped serving. I don't know if this has changed since then, but they stopped serving beer at like 2 a.m., but we had to hook up with somebody. So we were able to, we sent somebody to go get some beers. They got some, and then they brought it back. So we resupplied the beer. Right. There was just a little break and when the beer was available. So, because we had to do right by Papa Roach because, well, they were nice enough to let us backstage. And then uh, us being assholes, we drank all their beer. That's really, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy at the party that drinks all the beer. And that's the one time, that's the one time it happened. And after, ever since then, every time I'm like, you know what? I think I'll have one drink. Then, of course, you know, fast forward to, you know, hanging out with Corey Taylor and he pours me a Jack and Coke. That's 99% Jack Daniels and 1% Coke. But either way. Did you have a good hang with Corey that night? Yeah, he was super cool, man. We were uh, hanging out with him, the other guys from the band. I think uh, it might have been Ray's parents were there. It was one of the other guys from Stone Sour. It wasn't Corey, but their, their parents were there. And I actually ended up kind of uh, chatting with them for a bit. Because I got to talking to them, and I guess they were visiting. Uh, this is when I was in Florida, and so they were in town visiting. They were at the show to see, you know, see him perform, and just kind of started shooting the shit with them about, you know, what was it like as he was trying to make it in the band. You know, were were you supportive of him? Did you think? Did you ever have that moment with him where it's like, okay, well, maybe this isn't going to work out? And fortunately for for him. As I was talking to the parents, like, oh, well, the dad happened to be a musician as well. And he's like, I know what it takes sometimes. And yeah, there were some of those moments where it was like, okay, is this thing really going to pan out? Do you need to start looking for something else? And then thankfully for him, right, like right at those moments was when things started to take off, where he started to get some gigs and then he ended up in Stone Sour and then they ended up being able to make a living out of being in a band. Because one thing I don't think a lot of people realize is that making a living, being a musician is difficult. They think that it's pretty simple because there's a friend of mine who went to a mushroom head show and he was talking to the guys backstage after the show and they were like they were telling him like yeah like we're we're living like not even paycheck to paycheck at this point we're just scraping by and it blew my friend's mind he's like this is a band that I love I own all of their albums I buy their merchandise I come to every single show and here they are telling me that they're struggling just to survive yeah, well, that's the case with most bands at that. Man, there's there's bands you wouldn't believe. Some bands that are like that are at a good level that are still struggling to survive, like bands that I can't name that I've heard bad stories about, where they're like, "Wait, you were on a tour and you were playing to a thousand people a night, but you were doing it to cover costs 
or you were doing it to cover legal fees or you were doing it to cover debts to the record label that you had incurred and stuff like that there's like that's 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 every band dude mm-hmm. that's every band for the longest time i mean we the puppies had the same thing we didn't really make any money we had a platinum record and we still hadn't really made any real money because it costs so much money to get to that point that you've got to use the money that you actually net from touring and merch and everything to pay off what it costs to get out there and to to to, to promote everything and to do everything and the money from you know back when it was just record sales the money from record sales is all going to the label to pay off the money that they invested to make your videos and to make the record and to put it on the radio and do all that sort of stuff so yeah it's it's not it's not how it looks most of the time like i remember seeing a thing funny with Corey taylor i remember seeing um i watched a little documentary on them last week and they were talking about how slipknot came off their second album cycle and they went to make uh, the third record. They took a break, went to make the third record in LA at one at, at the, the Houdini mansion. So they've rented out this huge mansion and they're recording and they've got all the stuff there, but the guitar player didn't actually have any money in his bank account and didn't know how he was going to buy food every week when he'd run out of his weekly food allowance mm-hmm. that was allocated to him. And I'm like, how are you Slipknot making your third record and you're broke? Like they've been on record as saying... That was when they fired, I think they fired their manager or someone and they had to sue a couple of people and they had to do the whole thing that's so boring that you keep talking about. And that's Slipknot, one of the biggest bands in history at the at the peak. Like, you know, when they when they were making that third record, they were the biggest band. They're still one of the biggest bands in the world, but they were, you know, from that point, it was on and they're broke and they didn't even know why. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fucked up. <laughs> It seems like what we're getting to a lot here on the on Rockstar 101 is that it, you know it is incredibly difficult uh, to to make it as a band to be a musician and you know we don't want to deter anybody from you know pursuing their dreams but 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 the reality is it is very difficult and it's not simple as like oh well I can go write a song I can go tour or I can release something yeah. uh, you know online and people are going to love it and then everything is all you know, roses and puppy dogs and everything's going to be perfectly fine. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. And kind of one of the reasons that we started Rockstar 101 was to give some insights into from myself being on the radio side of things, from Shim being on the Rockstar side of things and bringing the realities. But if it's something that you love, like Shim, like you personally, we've talked about this before. Even if you were to make zero money whatsoever doing what you're doing, making music, you would still make music because it's a passion. You do it because, yeah, you do it because it's in your bones. You do it because if you don't do it, you don't feel, you feel bad. Like you feel like there's a thing inside you that's got to get out. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I try to tell people, especially if there's someone who wants to have a real, I think I've said this before, but I'll say it a million times on a million podcasts. Whenever I actually, when someone says, hey, can I talk to you about, you know, the business and and being a musician and all this sort of stuff. If I actually get into a proper conversation, the first thing I say is if you can do anything else, go and do it now. If If you're like, unless it's something that you have to do and you feel like crap if you don't do it. And it's just, it's just, it's not even a passion. It's like a calling, so to speak. And when it's a calling, there are times when it is a burden. Because when it sucks, it really sucks. And it can get really 
But, but that, the point that I'm coming around to is I was about to say, on the next podcast, we should probably pick a couple of positive topics and talk about a couple of positive things that you can do <laughs> in this business. And like, here's how to do something and here's what you'll get from it. And like something, because I can imagine a, there's a few people that have listened to a couple of the last podcasts and been like, man, I was going to start a band, but fuck that. <laughs> yeah, now this sounds like it sucks. Yeah. So we should probably pick a couple of things and actually make it like, here, here's how, here's a couple of cool things that happen. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's the main thing that I, that I tell everyone. Like once you get into it, you've got to, you've got to, it's got to be a passion because once you get to those tough times where it is a burden, it won't matter if it's your passion, if it's what you're supposed to do, if it's your calling, it'll just be a, a bump in the road or it'll be a part of the journey. Whereas if, if you can do something else, you will always, your brain will always go to, why am I dealing with this crap? This sucks. I could have gone to medical school or I could have gone to culinary school or I could have worked at my dad's shop or whatever. Whatever your thing is that you could have done, mm-hmm. you'll always sit there and go, man, I, I just, I'd be better off if I'd gone and done that thing. You'll get to that point unless it's in your bones. If it's in your bones and you have to do it, you won't have that thought process. You'll just be like, all right, we're, this is the speed bump until the next show or whatever it is. Yeah, if it's, not, if it's not in your bones, it's easier for you to tell yourself, okay, well, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. And then pursue a different avenue, which if it is in your bones, there's no chance of you doing that. I mean, I know I've even said this on this podcast before, even if I weren't to, uh, if I weren't in radio, uh, for my living, I would still do something. I would still want to do this podcast with you. I would do other podcasts. I would do something creative. I would produce something just because I, at this, it's at this point, I feel like I have to, that's why I, I, uh, I immediately kind of, gl- uh, grasped onto the world of radio so quickly. I was working a a, a job in a lumber yard where we listened to the radio. I was miserable because, you know, you just, you're busting your ass every day. Um, you know, and even at, at, at 19, 20 years old at that time, you know, you still, you're, you're sore at the end of the day and it's just, it's not, it's not fun. It's not mm. something that I could do. And it showed in my work. I was lazy as shit. Like I was one of the worst possible employees you could have <laughs> at those jobs because it's not something that I was meant for. It's not something that I could do. I have mad respect for the guys that can do it. The guys that can go out there and bust their ass, haul the lumber around, drive the truck, do these things like the, the working class guys. I have nothing but respect for because that's something that I can't do. But for me, once we would listen to the radio throughout those days while I was working. I'm like, I think I could do that. And then eventually when I got into a radio broadcasting program, I realized I could, and I just kept pushing forward and pushing forward and pushing forward. You get bit by the bug. Once you get bit, you can't, yeah, you can't, it's like being, it's getting bitten. Absolutely. And it's not leaving. It's not going anywhere at this point. And so no matter what I'm doing to make money, I would actually still do something creatively for that outlet because I feel if I don't have that outlet, you summed it up pretty good. You don't feel complete. Yeah. Like you you feel like there's something missing. Yeah. And that's the thing that I tell people if they say like, yeah, I could go and do this or I've got an option of doing this. I'm like, great. Keep doing music, write songs, do it all, do it on the weekends, go and start a cover band. It's more, it's more fun for you if that's your disposition. If you're like, well, I really would rather, you know, I can do this and it's not in my bones, that sort of stuff but I still love playing guitar. I know a bunch of guys that just don't have that um, in them, but they still play guitar and they play on the weekends and they jam with their friends and they're actually much happier as a result than they would be if they had tried to go and play Rockstar because it just isn't the right move for them. Because it'll just chew you up and spit you out, man. If you don't have the constitution for it, it just... 
it's hard enough when you do have the constitution for it and it'll still test you if you don't just 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 listen to what i'm saying and and if you don't listen to me ask more people they'll all tell you the same thing so just like yeah do it and make it fun because that's what it is at, at all times it's always gonna be fun yeah that's the whole reason um that i got into radio was because i wanted to do something that was fun like i enjoyed uh you know the some of the guys that i worked with you know, I was working in lumber. It's where I met some of my lifelong friends. This was, you know, over 20 years ago, and I'm still friends with those guys. But for me, the actual work, the job, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't enjoyable. I just didn't have fun with it. Whereas when I'm working in radio, I can. Let me ask you this. Did it make you feel like you? it was, it was taking time away from what you were supposed to be doing. And as a result, it was kind of a step backwards. Every day you show up to work when you're not doing what you're supposed to do, it's taking you further away from what you're supposed to be doing. It's not like a holding pattern. It's actually, you get you every day you're further away because you didn't spend that day doing what you think you're supposed to do. Yeah, because at that time, I mean, it was really easy for me to take the full-time job working at a lumber yard because that was money. And all I really wanted to do was go hang out and party. Like that was it. I was still able to stay with my parents. I would go sleep over at my friends' houses when needed. And I was making money to make a car payment and to party. That was it. Right. If I, as long as I had enough money to go do that stuff, I was fine. But then after a while... I mean, it would take, you know, six, seven, eight months. And I was like, this sucks. Yeah. Like, yeah, this, this was great. When I, when I first took the job, it served its purpose. But now there's something more out there for me that I need to go do. And I feel stagnant. I don't feel like I'm accomplishing anything. Because, you know, you look at some of the older guys there and I'm like, I don't want to be here when I'm 45, 50 years old. Now, the fact that they did, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I don't want to knock them for doing it. And in fact, it's actually mad props because they were able to do it and I wasn't. It's something that they were far better at than I was. And they, and a lot of people a lot of people say the same thing about being in a band. They're like, why would I want to go and jump on a bus with a bunch of sweaty guys and never see my family and XYZ? Like, they, they, they have the same respect for people that do what you and I do and different people you know everyone's it's every people are built for different things man they're just built for different things you can feel it in your gut yeah and that's one of the things I think that as we wrap up this episode we could just kind of reiterate you know like go find what is good for you and go do it because even for me at this point I had somebody ask me uh what is your passion and my passion right now it's it's being creative I don't think the medium per se has to be radio. I thoroughly enjoy what I do. I love the morning show that I'm on. I love the fact that we do a five-hour show where we get to goof around and have fun. I love doing it. But I don't think that for me it's isolated to radio, which is why I love doing this podcast with you, which is why I love doing a lot of the other things that I'm involved with, just because it's an outlet for me. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. And you're right. That is a good place to wrap it up. And let's tease. Well, there's one thing I want to tease uh, for the next podcast. Please remind me to bring it up. But because we were talking about Corey Taylor before we went off on this tangent, remind me if I haven't told you to tell you about the conversation that I saw between him and his son backstage in Omaha. I like that tease. I like that. All right. Well, I've written it down and we'll bring it up on the next episode of Rockstar 101. Again, if you want to hit us up on our social medias, be, uh, by all means do so. He's at Shim Moore over on Twitter. That's S-H-I-M-M-O-O-R-E. And if you want to hit me up on Instagram, you can do that. It is Brandon underscore Goat underscore Coats. That's C-O-A. T-E-S. So if you have a question uh, for us, if you have a topic that you would like covered, any of these things, by all means, hit us up on social media one more time. On Twitter, it's at Shim Moore. And over on Instagram, it is Brandon underscore goat underscore 
coats. And on that note, his name is Shim. He's the rock star. His name is Brandon. He's the DJ. Class dismissed. <laughs>